How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. <laughs> yes, it was great. That was a touchdown. It was a great, great, Mark. You know, it's, um, it's so nice to hear a voice again. You know, because don't you sort of feel a little isolated during this COVID era, and yet there's all this stuff going on in the world. Whew, guys, prepare yourselves. This is going to be so much fun. Tom, could you introduce our guest for tonight? Oh, I am just so F-wording happy to. <laughs> she is a board-certified health psychologist who swears her way to sanity using cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness, humor, positive psychology, and... Oh, profanity yeah. and has more than 25 years of professional experience helping others find meaning in a crazy world she's also the author of the recently published self-help book move on mofo live laugh and let malarkey go i give you jody eckleberry hunts hey hey dr eckleberry hunt welcome to the dr joe show i am so happy to be here and it gives me a distraction i can't watch the news for the next hour. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. It has been mesmerizing. So, you know, listening audience, uh, you may or may not know what mofo means, but we will say really quickly, it means move on mother. Am I missing something here? Move on mother. <laughs> I just got, I just got a, a text from Ben. That's $25,000. Oh, oh man. Hey Ben, move on mother. Move, move. We got to fifty now. So That's good. That was really me, good. Where where does this where where did you get this idea? It is brilliant. Tell me about it. Well, interestingly enough, uh, as in a lot of circumstances, we, and when people are doing therapy, we figure it out on ourselves first. And I really had a great job. Loved all the people. I worked in medical education, so I taught physicians for many years. I just wanted a, a place closer to home. So I went to a brand new place, didn't know anyone. And shortly after I got there, I realized something was awry. And the more I was there, the more people were streaming into my office telling me about the awful things that were going on. And it was very troubling. And luckily there was also a new colleague who had joined at the same time and we were making eye contact and uh, somehow connected like this is not right. So we started getting together and complaining. And the next thing you know, we're having cursing contests. Uh, and it really seemed the humor, the humor seemed to relieve some of the tension, but we were outdoing each other. And at a certain point, I realized that it had turned negative, uh, meaning that we were ruminating, going over the same stuff over and over and over. And it was starting to become toxic, even just our discussions. And so uh, one day, my colleague was complaining about the same stuff. And I looked at him and I said, you need to move on, mofo. And he just stopped and we just caught each other's gaze 
And then we just burst out laughing. And in that moment, I think what, what we both connected with is the idea that we were an active participant in creating our own pain. Hmm. That we're always going to find ourselves in circumstances that we don't like, but at what point are we responsible for perpetuating it? So then, interestingly enough, um, I decided I'm going to try it out with a few people in my practice, targeted. And they really connected to the idea, too, of using targeted profanity. So then I jumped into the literature and I found actual neuroscientists and cognitive psycho psychologists who studied the idea that if, for example, if I'm squeezing an ice cube really hard and I'm allowed to curse at the pain, I actually report a lower pain level. So, if, you know, you can think about it if you're walking through your living room and you stub your toe and you yell, oh, S-H-I-T, uh, right? Um, you yell that, actually, you're reporting a lower pain level. So then the idea is that if you can use that with emotional pain too, there is a cathartic release, but it's the humor that is the antidote. So you can identify, gosh, there I go again, I need to stop that. But that guilt and the shame, that really strong negative emotions really get in the way of letting go. And the putting that profanity in there, creating humor and calling yourself out actually then sort of amps up all the stuff we already know works. That was a long explanation, but that's sort of the genesis. No, that's great. So, so I wonder what is going on neurochemically with that. Um, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Endorphins, oxytocin, dopamine, all sorts of different interesting things. So as you had this epiphany, how did that change? I mean, you applied it with your patients and ran it by them. What about for you? Yeah, so I, I said to myself, mm -hmm. if I'm going to stay in this environment, I need to move on from covering the same territory. I need to find a way um, to get over it, or I need to actually physically move on. And so I, I decided that I couldn't, I couldn't stay. I just could not tolerate it. But I, in the end, I had to own what to do with it. So when we find ourselves in horrible situations, that part we can't control, but we can control what we decide to do with it. And I had to own the decision and I left yeah. and it worked out. Wow. I, I'm just impressed because a lot of people would just stay wallowing in that dysfunctional world and not know what to do. You know, make a decision, you know, you sort of stuck with it. Well, let me share this with you. Um, I, I, I'm a big fan of John Kabat-Zinn. In his book, Full Catastrophe Living, he talks about the story, um, the Buddhist story of the second arrow. And I think this really closely illustrates what I'm talking about. So let's say you're walking in the forest and you just get struck by an arrow. And that's horrible. Um, you're bleeding. You can't move your arm. You're in intense pain. And um, that part, you can't control. That was the bad thing. You were just minding your own business. The second arrow is when you take the other free hand and you say, oh my gosh, this is awful. This is terrible. What am I going to do now? What if I can't work and I won't be able to pay the bills? What if my arm falls off and I have to go to the hospital? What if I get an infection? I can't take this. Who did this to me? And you sort of 
escalate it all, you're taking another arrow and stabbing yourself. Mm -hmm. You could not control that first arrow, but you get to control the suffering that you create. And um, I think that probably laid the foundation for all the light bulbs going off in my life. And I do feel kind of bad because I teach people cognitive behavioral therapy all the time and mindfulness. And, um, you know, I would have some people say to me, um, well, it's not, it's not quite taking me all the way there. I, I feel better, but I'm not quite over it. And I, my response would be, let's try harder, right? And um, it wasn't working for me either, but I, I just found this amping up seems to release some of those really painful emotions. Mm. Well, I, I can certainly understand that. I mean, one of the things to talk about is, I don't know if people get over these things, but they have to come to terms with it because it's part of who they are. Just like that arrow is part of who you are, you can pull it out. And I would much rather have people have scars than open wounds, you know? Because the scar says, you know, I, I survived this. This is part of who I am. And, and I think using profanity is just such, it's just such a wonderfully brilliant thing because, you know, so many people swear when they're angry, but there is some sense of relief. So let's go back. So cognitive behavioral therapy, could you just tell folks a little bit about the basis of that? Yep. So cognitive behavioral therapy is the mainstay of how we do therapy these days. And essentially it is identifying how we come to this earth, the genetics, uh, if we're outgoing or not, or if we're, we tend to be warriors or certain personality traits that are genetic. And then those first 18 years of life, I tell people it's like um, your personality is a crock pot and your life experiences in the first 18 years are ingredients being thrown in. And sometimes we get mistaken messages like not good enough or everybody has to like me or what's wrong with me that my parents didn't love me enough to do X or you are worthwhile if, right? So the first 18 years of life, we get these messages and those messages will never really go away. I mean, even if they were messed up, um, we carry them with us. And they uh, create this voice in our head that I, I say is like a narrator. And it's saying to, stuff to us constantly, uh, never shuts up. Like, well, you should do this and you have to do this. And oh my gosh, what if this happens? And oh, what's that person thinking about me? It's just constant. Well, if your voice is saying negative or scary or judgmental things, you feel bad, you feel beaten up. And so cognitive behavioral therapy is identifying that that voice is saying things and learning to argue back with it, learning to um, either say, shut up, or you know what, what's the evidence? Like, what's the, I, I, I laugh, again, I, I like to have a little bit of a warped sense of humor because I think it's an antidote to everything in life. But um, for people who worry a lot about what others are saying or thinking about them, and that's a very common worry, like what's that person thinking about me? I say, every time you catch yourself thinking that, say, they're more likely to be daydreaming about porn than to be thinking about you. I mean, it's a way of really calling yourself out like that's they're not thinking about you, really. Um, our brains aren't wired for that. So it's talking back, holding yourself accountable, saying what's the evidence to prove what I'm thinking. And then the behavior is sometimes you can't get those thoughts off your mind. You just need to get up and go do something else. Get your mind on something else. 
So that is a, a it in a nutshell. No pun intended. And that's Sorry. right. <laughs> so, so let me let me let me ask if you don't mind. You've told us a bit about the the social domain that that really gave you this epiphany for the mother of invention here. What about your home domain? What about those early years? Did, did that have an influence, you think, on becoming a psychologist? Wow. Wow. Um, I believe, I, so I, ha, I am very honest about it. I have generalized anxiety disorder. And yeah. I tell people who have generalized anxiety disorder that if you can learn to harness that anxiety, it is a sixth sense. It becomes your superpower. Yeah. And so I feel like the genetic pieces have always been um, really, really sensitive to what other people have going on. I, I really feel like empathy uh, is something that I was born with. And so I think there's that genetic piece, but my mom, of course, was, uh, as a lot of moms, um, a doer, a giver, and I saw her giving and volunteering and doing all that. So then that was the environmental piece, just learning a, a service mm -hmm. and uh, really feeling good about that. Mm. And so, so the anxiety part though, because I think so many people can resonate with that right now. And maybe there's, there's a role for your book right now in our day and age to help people. Uh, before we go further, how do people get the book? Well, it is widely available right now. You can, uh, I, I like to tell people to support local bookshop.org. You can order and it supports your local bookstore. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. The publisher is New Harbinger, newharbinger.com. Uh, I think you can get it most any place uh, online for sure, if it's not in your store. Great. And it is called Move On, Mother thank you her right um and 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 uh yeah I, I really i think that boy the timing could not be better for people i mean we've got 2020 we've got all the stuff going on we got viruses and elections T tell me a little bit about the different topics and the chapters that you've chosen and, and how do you apply this in different situations I tried to hit the highlights. So the first one is your mind is a mess. So it's mostly stress and understanding yourself and your negative thinking. I do cover uh, standing up for yourself. So learning to be, learning to say no, boundaries a lot. I'm, I'm huge on boundaries. Uh, parenting, I am love to tell people that nothing can make you feel as incompetent of a human being as being a parent. Yeah. Uh, my kids tell me that all the time. <laughs> that, yeah. that you're incompetent. Right, absolutely. <laughs> um, relationships, so getting along with, uh, that gets down to moving on from the idea that your partner's gonna change when your partner has always been the person he or she is. Hmm. And uh, one of my favorites is I don't use the word forgiveness because people don't like that term. They don't like to extend that grace to people who they don't feel deserve it. But I, I use the term finding peace. That's probably my favorite chapter because it really gets at emotional pain. But I would say the underlying theme for all of that, the move on, just to be clear, the two, two points that are super important I want to make. 
is the cursing is never being self-abusive. So it's talking to yourself like a good friend would. And I think um, that's a super important point in the book that uh, I say to people, let's say your friend lost a job and your friend was saying, oh, you know, my, so awful. Uh, I'm, I was a terrible worker. Nobody ever really liked me. Uh, I'm never gonna find anything good again. Would you say to that friend, oh yeah, you're right. Like I've always thought that about you and it sucks to be you. I, I wouldn't get out of bed. You wouldn't, but that's how we talk to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So the talking, uh, using the profanity is in an encouraging way, like what you would say to a friend to motivate a friend. But the other point I wanna make is this move on is about saying, what am I doing in this moment? And sometimes it's saying, this is not healthy, I need to move on. But sometimes it's, what is the lesson? What is this pain telling me? What do I need to get from this so I can transcend, so to speak? So that gets down to the question, what can I control? And with the election, with the pandemic, with everything going on, what can I control? And if you really, people feel out of control and the fear and there's all of that, but when you really get down to it, I can control my schedule. I can control taking good care of myself. I can control how much news media I let in. I can control if I want to go out and volunteer and help people, uh, even though I feel unable to change the world, I have certain things I can control. And uh, the last, this is such a long answer, but the last thing I, I want to throw out related to that is that really gets back to the, the big influence of Viktor Frankl's writing uh, for me and the idea that you could be in a concentration camp and everything being taken away from you, but you can control this. Yeah. And it. Jody is pointing to her head. You can oh, control, yes. You sorry. No, sorry. No, no, I, no. I'm, I'm forgetting. No, no. But it, and it's not easy. I'm not saying you snap your fingers and all of a sudden you, you change your mindset, but uh, this is a, whole, a philosophy of reminding yourself that you work very hard to uh, don't let what's going on become a cancer in your mind. You can control that. It's interesting that you bring up that book. That was a very impactful book for me reading. I read, I read that Man's Search for Meaning, right? Yes. Um, I read that as a young man yeah. and it was, uh, it was game changing. And I think your book could do this for a lot of people. Wow. Can't wait to order a bunch of them. Yeah. Why That's does, a huge compliment. Why does that, does that surprise you? Uh, what he just said about my book? Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Um, it, it does. I, I, I think uh, partially it, it's because this stuff is so familiar to me and I, I feel like uh, I've taken ideas from other people and I feel like I've just put it together in a different way, but it's familiar to me. It, it's like, oh, really? Other people think that this is something new and it's just because it's so familiar to me. But I will say the one thing, I am partially probably out of guilt, I say this because I've taken ideas from other people, my goal was to take complex ideas and make it accessible to the average person 
who doesn't want to read all the academics, doesn't want to read the mumbo jumbo, just give me straight talk very directly. That's what I aimed to do. Yeah. Translation. Yeah. Yeah. So important because it is because these concepts can be so heady and yet they can be so simple. You can just, and it, and I, I want people who's listening, it's not dumbing it down because it's not about our readers being dumb, just the opposite. These are smart, articulate people who sometimes don't have the time to, to read and digest these sort of deep, you know, analytic, scientific research journals. And so we yeah. can, go ahead. Yeah, and I was just going to also say that um, one of the things that I try to do in my writing is role model. Like, I'm no different than anybody else. And I've had lots of training in how to help people, and I still fall in the same traps, too. Mm. And so I also try to, when I write, try to make, uh, I, I want everybody, there's a, the also the idea that I write about, uh, Elizabeth Lesser shares that we're all clowns on the bus. We're all on the same clown bus together. And I'm on there with everybody else. Mm. And I try to make that clear. We're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really important because what that means is we're one group, not fragments, not different groups, not in groups and out groups. We're one group. It's called humanity. We're all in this together. And that right now, I know when we're giving people a break from it, but right now that message could not be more important. We just have to remember that. And so Again, how would we apply your book and the approach to our 2020 world? Well, I would say it starts with becoming aware of what we're saying to ourselves. And the big problem now, in my, in my opinion, I feel the more I listen, the more I feel strongly about this, is fear has taken over. Yes. And... Fear will always cause people to react irrationally. Fear is not, our, our emotion, we feel what we feel, but we need to, I, as I say to people, show up for the fight with fear. If fear is a bully. And so we have to engage our heads to show up to the fear and say, what are you doing? That becomes that cancer. And so... I think it is uh, when you say, what can we do? It's show up for that fight in our head every day. And this isn't something you're not going to read my book and then be fixed. This is a philosophy. It's a, um, and showing up for the fight. What can I control? What can I do to make myself a better person and contribute in some way to society? I, I'm a, I am a huge believer that difference makes us strong. Absolutely. But unfortunately, the first reaction is fear because we don't understand it. But if we can just say, okay, stop, be in the moment, that's the mindfulness. Like, what am I doing? I'm getting escalated. Just listen. It doesn't hurt to take in information. And then you can decide what to do with that. I'm so glad that you're not afraid to talk about fear. Um, because really, one of the things 
uh, that we talk about on the Dr. Joe show is the I am approach. And the idea though, that fear itself, uh, there's nothing wrong with fear. There's nothing wrong with anger. It's what you do with these emotions that's going to be important. Because these emotions are part of who we are. They're part of our ancient, ancient brain, our limbic system. Fear is the fight and flight response, the flight branch of fight flight. That's anxiety. But it doesn't have to rule us. Once you recognize it, you can do something about it. You know, one of my phrases, keep it frontal, don't go limbic. Because uh, the prefrontal cortex is where our thinking capacity is. But yes, there is a lot of fear right now. Um, and I think that that, that fear, uh, well, I mean, you, you were honest enough to generalize anxiety, right? I mean, that's pretty powerful. I think we all know people who have had anxiety. We all experience that ourselves. It's the question is why, you know? What is it? And ultimately, right, fear is based on am I safe or not? It's about safety. Am I safe? Am I in danger? Is there someone out there who's going to hurt me? Is there somebody, in, in many cases, going to devalue me? Are they going to see me as less than and broken and not good enough? And I think we do that, what you're saying, to ourselves. Well, absolutely. I was thinking when you said that, I was thinking, well, what if the bully is in our head? Yeah. Yeah. So how do you talk to that bully? Like, what are some of the strategies or tactics that you would recommend when that voice starts attacking you? Well, so when I said earlier, uh, it's not self-abusive, um, that when the bully shows up, personally, uh, I have, uh, that's, when I, I can, uh, I, I'm going to have to censor a bit because, you know, then I really let the profanity fly. <laughs> um, shut the heck up. Uh, I'm not going to listen to you. Stop. But it is also recognizing where is this coming from? What is this about? And, um, but I think that, so if, if I could go back to my anxiety and I just speak from the uh, that personal point of view, I call that my crazy talk. Like, oh, there's that crazy voice that lives in my head. I can't make it go away. I've tried. So sometimes that's the bully too, but I can choose not to listen to it. Mm. And uh, you have to figure out what medicine that is. So for me, I like to go exercise. I, I tell people exercise for me is like hitting the reset button on the brain. And like my computer, like sometimes you just got to hit reset. And the exercise helps me work through those bullying thoughts or anxious thoughts. But I think it gets back to what I always say, show up for the fight. Mm -hmm. For individuals, you have to figure out for you personally what works the best. And they need a Sherpa for that, right? A guide to, to figure out what works the best. So how would you help them? How would I help? Help them find out what works the best for them. Well, you know, so in the book, I yeah. talk, I have a lot of exercises Excellent. to Great. help people explore that. Uh, I do, I, I personally, so my two favorites are exercise and journaling. Uh, I think that journaling helps you flesh out 
what that voice is saying. So what the themes are oftentimes, and not always, but oftentimes that bullying, if it's really a, a horrific voice in your head, it can be related to stuff you learned as a child. We uh, sort of, um, in it, it, we take on the voice of the critical parent and beat ourselves up. But uh, one of the things that I share with folks who come in my office and they tell me that it's very, very useful is that idea from uh, transactional analysis that we, we all have the child. And that child is the vulnerable part of us, the one that just wants to cry or to be held or to throw a temper tantrum, but that vulnerable piece. And then we have the critical, the judgmental, get up, get off the floor, stop feeling sorry for yourself. You shouldn't do that. Oh my gosh, look at you, how terrible you are. And then there's the adult. And the adult can be that enlightened part of you who shows up and says to the child, come here, let me help you. And you shut up, you just stop. But the things that we sometimes didn't get as a child, we can't go back and fix that, but we can show up as the enlightened adult and give that to ourselves. That's what we control. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And we got our soundbite winner of the year. Wow. No, that is really, that's that's such good, good stuff right there. How does that resonate with you, Mark? It's so important to understand. I mean, it's, it's self-awareness, right? I mean, at its core, it's where am I? Who am I? How am I? How am I showing up? And then what am I doing? when I show up, but to be aware of what you actually are presenting is, is a challenge for a lot of people, a lot of adults. And to, to have information like this, I think gives people a, a, a strategy, a way of, of living that they may not be awoken to right? They're now enlightened mm -hmm. because no, not a lot of people under, know transactional analysis. I learned that in a sales training course where the critical parent can't talk to the adult, the, the child, you know, and it was, there's a whole dynamic of like understanding your audience. And, um, but to have it, you know, keep it super simple, right? The KISS methodology, keep it super simple. Because Dr. Joe, you made it, you were very kind to those who liked the cliff notes earlier. You, uh, you said a lot of really intelligent people just don't have the time to read the medical text with the footnotes. No, they don't have time to read much at all, right? But if you can give it to us in a really easily digestible way, it could be life changing. That's right. That's exactly right. That's what, that's what Dr. Ethelbert Hunt's book is about. It's, it's these, these, moment tom you, you got some thoughts on this uh, well, i'd like to say that uh with time to read i think for anger i can't think of a better way to better understand each other than to take a little bit of time to read these days because when we're this angry what we need to do is retrace our footsteps mm. how did we get here how did we 
end up in two different camps. Yeah. Uh, find that why. Find that point of divergence. Uh, with self-talk, I believe that's very important because I think in the seasons of our lives, we change our uh, internal monologue voice actor. So for like a month or so last year, it, you know, as silly as it sounds, I'd have a little, I'd try to implant like a drill instructor voice in my head early in the morning because I was used to getting up 3.30 in the morning because I had to for work, mm. for um, working on the ferries. But now that I have my own thing going, it becomes more, you, you can excuse yourself more. And I wanted that self-discipline. So I had the voice of this guy, Dan Pena, who's like this big uh, multi-billionaire. He dresses like one of those 1800s titans of industry. And his whole shtick is screaming at people and calling them worthless. Sweet. And it it got me up, but it didn't help after that. Mm. Yeah. Hard to continue to be motivated when you're berated all the time. Yeah, it, it, I, I don't. I don't feel like performing for those people. Right. Well, it's hard enough if you have those internal voices. Now you're throwing another one into the stew. You know, now you got to bring two people to the fight. Yeah. Right. So the the fear and the anxiety, I mean, these are these are just two sides of the same coin, right? And then we beat ourselves up if we don't think we're doing well enough. We should be doing better. And really, you know, this is this again is what the I am is about. The I am is saying, "Hey, forget all that. We're always doing the best we can at every moment in time, with the potential to change in the very next second to another best we can. This is my current maximum potential. But if I don't like it, I can change it. And that's part of what we're really talking about: is how do you step back enough, look again at why we do what we do." without that judgment, right? And that that's a major part of, of what you're doing, Jody, what, what I'm trying to do with my work, what Dr. Joe show is about. And we, we find these wonderful different ways to do it. Um, we have incredible authors come on, talk about these different ways. And what that what does that really mean? That means that there are so many ways that we can do this. Let's just grab the one makes the most sense to you and see what happens and see what happens you know so with with all of this in mind um when you started to have this insight and you began to apply it did that also give you some sense of of joy of you know going back to, to the idea of, of being a person who wants to do things for others. Um, did that help as well? Absolutely. Uh, I think that, um, okay. I think that uh, having a, when you find people who are stuck emotionally, and I had another tool that I can throw in and get, I think my key is getting people to laugh at themselves mm -hmm. in a way that is kind. It felt so good. It was healing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I use humor a lot in in the work that I do as well, and it is remarkable. And I think I think it's also rare for people in our position as as psychologists and psychiatrists and therapists to risk using humor. A lot of people get really freaked out about using humor because somehow they think it's it's a I don't know why it's a boundary but a violation. But but I can tell you that. The humor that we use is the thing that keeps us going. And it's inspirational, too. I, I hope people can realize that they can look at themselves with some humor, call themselves out on it without contributing to this idea that somehow you have less value. You know, that you can still do this and, and learn from learn about yourself. I mean, of all the people you'd want to learn about, yourself was a good one to do you know yeah absolutely and you know what i want to i'll throw out um of all the things i've done in my life this writing a book has been the most humbling uh and difficult and i think um one of the things it is really driven home is how important it is to be to live your life but also be an observer of yourself living your life and when things don't go the way you wanted be able to say oh wow that's interesting i wonder what's going to happen next instead of always feeling like we have to judge it and that was bad and i can't believe you did that and i think um i, I would absolutely say that has been the process of writing this book because it's not been linear and it's so important to be able to step back and just observe sometimes that is the moving on the transcending so what what is your process for for writing uh i probably because i love journaling so much uh it was cathartic and i think it started out with had all these stories and ideas in my head and sometimes well i find that it really helps me to put it into a coherent narrative so i can settle my brain and so I think I just got into it and it was hard to stop. It was like a letting go. And um, I am not the kind of person who writes every day, but I, I start and I really need a huge chunk of time because I don't want to stop until I get it all out. And I don't know how long that's going to take. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I know that my writing style is I won't write for a long time. And then it just it just sort of pours out. Yeah. It all pours out, you know, these different stories. And I'm a huge believer in the research on journaling. I think there's this chaos that's always in our head, but if we can somehow assign it language and get it out, it makes meaning. It helps us make meaning and that helps us move beyond. Yeah. So, so where where are you actually practicing now? Uh, you're you're out in, in Michigan. I am. Uh, I have a couple of different positions. So I have a private practice, which is half time in, in Fenton, and I also am employed by Beaumont Health, and I do a, executive coaching for corporate executives. Well, it's well, it's wellness executive coaching. Wow. And so do you apply this technique to them as well? Do you teach them this? I don't know. 
No, because I don't want to get fired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do teach them uh, (laughs) the cognitive behavioral and the mindfulness stuff, but without the profanity, because again, I don't know that um, Beaumont would uh, continue to keep me on with that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Mark will probably want you to come and do some work for for his booth. Absolutely, I love it. Any any of that uh, self improvement, um, what used to be called self help, I love it. I love it. I can't get enough of it. And I know you talked about, you know, for you it's so familiar, and you feel like you're just aggregating other other ideas of other people. It's it's so necessary. Well, that's it's what the I am is too. Right. Is that yeah. fair to say, Dr. Joe? It's, it's absolutely fair to say. It's it's absolutely an amalgam of all sorts of different approaches that sort of get blended into one. But 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 the idea that we can look at ourselves without thinking that we're broken. And and this honestly, this is one of the things because I've I've also written these self-help books and I preface it by saying you know, I don't really like the idea of a self-help book because it implies that you're doing something wrong, that you're not good enough, you know? And and it's not really, that's not really what these books are about. They're saying, okay, let's, here's a, here's a framework to look at yourself. Um, and what do you learn? You know, and what do you want to change? What do you want to see different? Um, for me, I, I, I don't use the word disorder anymore. Because I think as soon as you use the word disorder, you separate people into two groups, one group that is ordered and one group that is not. And then we're astonished we have stigma. We have this group that's good, this group that is not. I don't use the word treatment, even though we have to because of insurance companies, because treatment implies there's something broken and I need to fix it and you need to fix it. We need to treat it. But change, adaptation, evolution, that's fine. Because that's that's really who we are as human beings. We are constantly changing and evolving and adapting. Uh, and if you can step back and look at that and go, whoa, why did I do that? Why did I feel that anxiety? You know, what was I thinking? Go ahead. You just reminded me when I was in grad school, I did a paper on uh, the socio sociological analysis of diagnosis and I mean, you just reminded me of the incredible power. The person who wields the ability to diagnose has power. And I think that sometimes we forget that. Or as you were talking, I was thinking, I I take that for granted. And But I will say, um, hopefully, I mean, it's my hope that I always use that power for the good and to make people feel normal. Like, again, we're all sort of in this together. There is no, there is no normal. It's, yeah. Well, I say, you know, diagnosis is merely a convenient way to describe a cluster of symptoms so one professional can get a quick picture of somebody else. But no one is a diagnosis. We are way more interesting and complicated than a diagnosis. But we've been sort of pushed into a box through insurance companies, honestly, um, and this idea that, that we need to give you a label. You know, you carry a diagnosis, like a burden. Well, yeah, and the other piece is um, like insurance not paying if you don't have one. And so the idea is that you wouldn't go get therapy unless you're sick. Well, actually, therapy is to help keep you well. Yeah, and the healthiest people, if if there is such a thing, uh, benefit the most. 
So look, we, we have a few minutes left. The IM, you know, has, has two rules. We're influenced by four domains, your home domain, the social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and something called the IC domain. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? Actually, probably is theory of mind. But because the four domains interconnect, a small change can have a big effect. Doctor, what small change can you suggest to our listening audience, given your approach, that they can apply and have a big effect? And I have to stick to one? No, of course not. All right, thank you. Um, I think it is A, being starting just to be an observer of the things that we say to ourselves, and B, saying, is that how I would talk to a friend? Mm. And the third is, what can I control in this situation? I think those are um, three very simple things that you can show up in your own head to figure out what to do next. We've got another thing to come to, but I want for one minute, can you give me a quick example of the application of that final one? Of the final one? Of the, of the three things? You know, the give me give me an example how someone would apply it. So let's say that I am uh, finding myself very worked up, saying, "Okay, what am I saying to myself?" And let's say that I'm saying to myself, "This day is going to be terrible. Uh, there's no way that you're going to get through the day." It's being able to say, "Gosh, would I talk to a friend like that? Would I say, oh gosh, um, you're not strong enough.'" How would I talk to a friend? And mustering the energy to say no. Um, and okay, how can I make this day better? So it's flipping it. What can I control? And it starts with, I can control my attitude. Yeah, great. Love it. And the second rule of the I am, because everybody has an I am. Everybody's interested in what you think or feel about them. You're part of someone's home or social domain. And you know that it feels differently when you're treated with respect or disrespect. This means you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Dr. Jody Eckler Hunt, what kind of influence do you want to be? Well, of course I want to, I want to be a positive influence, but I think I want to encourage people to recognize that we're all in this crazy place together and uh, we have to find a way to laugh um, because laughing heals. And I, I don't mean that, I, I guess I, I feel like I have to clarify, I don't mean that we're gonna laugh at horrible things that are happening, but sometimes, um, yeah. Right. One more time, how do we get the book? Give us the name of it. Uh, the name of it, Move On Mofo. Uh, it's on uh, Amazon, newharbinger.com, Barnes and Noble, bookshop.org. Great. Thank you so much for being here tonight. It has been awesome. In a tweet. Bye, guys.